to take a look at God's Word? Uh, can we pray before we start? Would you stand with me and pray just for one moment, just as we start? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you've called us to follow you. We pray, Lord, that in everything we do, in our thinking, in our speaking, in our talking, walking, praying, Lord, we would emulate you, our master, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your life would be in our life so that it would be truly said of us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in us and quickening our mortal bodies. Bless us as we look at your word. Bless us as we wrestle with the word, Lord, and put it into our hearts and souls and minds. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people say, Amen. 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 Praise God. We're looking at this morning's message I've titled, The Imitation Game. And the reason I called it the imitation game is because I want to talk to you today about imitation, about imitating others. I want to talk to you today about what it means to be an imitator. I want to talk to you today about the concept or the idea that we're all imitators to some degree or other. We're all imitating other people already, whether we know it or not. Sometimes we're imitating the best qualities about them. And then sometimes we're imitating the not-so-best qualities about people. Sometimes we're imitating great qualities from our parents, teachers, friends, our community, our workmates. And sometimes we imitate the behaviours and the attitudes and the words and the thinking that isn't so great and isn't so good for our lives. But God wants the best for our lives. Can I get an amen? amen? And he's given us the best example to follow. So today I'm going to talk about the imitation game. Would you put up the first slide for me, please, if you would, Ade? The imitation game. So what I want to say to you this morning, before we go anywhere, is that we are all born copycats. We're born copycats. Every one of us, from the moment we're born, begin to copy other people. Nobody comes out of the womb and is, I am a unique, dynamic person in my own right. No one does. Everybody is a copy. The first thing you see is a copy of your DNA when a baby is born. A copy of your mother and father's DNA. They are your copy. He's the head off his dad, they would say in Cork. That's because he has his father's and his mother's DNA. He's already, before he comes out of the womb, the, the child is a copy. He's already a copycat. And then, as he goes on in life, he begins to copy more and more things about his parents, about their attitudes, about, about the kids around them. They begin to copy more and more behavior. They begin, if you will, to imitate the people around them. Does anybody here, was any of the lads here, were anybody ever taught to shave by your dad? Anybody here taught to shave by the dad? Am I the only one who's got the seventh heaven experience? Okay, it's like seventh, hey son, come on, I'm gonna teach you how to shave yourself and be a man. Like, that's what my dad said to me, except he said more like, get in here, we should shave yourself. So he, my dad taught me how to shave myself. It's a, it's a shame that you haven't experienced that. Maybe you all kind of figured out and looked in the mirror at the age of 13 and said, now I will get the razor and cut myself. But um, my dad taught me how to shave and I remember being inside in the bathroom with him and he showed, he put on, he actually put the foam on my face. Actually, I quite, find it quite moving and think about it. He put the foam onto my face and he, he said, he took his razor and I took my razor and he said, this is how I want you to shave now, long, smooth strokes. <laughs> so when you see the Gillette ads, this my dad taught the people in the Gillette ads, did you know that? They go, and everything is perfectly clean. Whereas for most people, you go, and there's blood going everywhere. But anyway, so he taught me how to shave. And the reason he taught me that way, he says, don't shave like this. And I bet you there's men inside in this room who shave. Don't shave like this. <laughs> Because when you shave like that, you cut yourself, you see? And he was using as an example my oldest brother who would shave himself like that. And he'd always come out of the bathroom bleeding and little bits of tissue stuck onto his face everywhere where he'd bleed himself. 
And my dad taught me how to shave. And all I did was I imitated the way my dad shaved. And then I was able to shave. And then I tried to teach my children. And they said, no, get out of here, Dad. I can do this myself. <laughs> the blood ensued. Anyway, we're all born copycats. Every one of us, you see. Because when I was a kid, to be called a copycat was like an insult. But little did I know that everybody who was calling me a copycat was a copycat themselves. Because nobody is an original. Oh no, but I am. No, you're not. You're not an original. You are a copy of something else. You're all, like I said, you're already a copy of your parents' DNA. No, you are unique, okay? In case you're feeling insecure and you're feeling your identity is being undermined, you are unique. But you're a unique combination of your DNA, your experiences, your habits, your behaviors, and the influence on your lives, which are so complex. That's what you are. I like what the Irish playwright, um, Oscar Wilde wrote, oh, he wrote some fairly funny stuff and some pretty good stuff. This isn't that funny, but it's a great observation. He said this, he said, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Why do children behave like their parents when they're small? You see, because they say that when a child is seven, he thinks his dad knows everything. When a child is 17, he thinks his dad knows nothing. And when he turns 27, he goes, yeah, maybe his dad knew a thing or two after all. Because when we're kids, we want to imitate our parents. We want to because they're our heroes. They're the ones who are most exposed to us. We want to imitate our big brothers. If you had a big brother or a big sister, or maybe you're the oldest, or maybe you imitated a cousin or a friend on the street, but you imitate them because they're your heroes. We imitate the things that we look up to, literally. What do we look up to? Because what we look up to is what we're going to imitate. So let me give you an example of three imitative behaviors, okay? That you do, that you have learned, not instinctively, not innately, not intuitively, but you've learned these things. Here's three. Not them all, but here's three. First of all is thinking. You've learned to think by imitation. You think like other people think because you imitate the way that they think and you imitate the conclusions that they come to. Are you with me? You talk like other people because that's how we learn to speak. A child that is brought up in an environment where there is no language being spoken does not learn to speak intuitively or instinctively. It is done by observation. Something interesting that was in the South China Sea Post, an article I read recently, talked about the effect of the linguistic development of children during COVID was put back because the children couldn't see the modes of the people speaking to them because they were wearing masks because of COVID. And so children were linguistically set back. They could hear the noises, but they couldn't copy the mouth movements. Do you know that you ever notice that when you feed children? Has you ever noticed that if, if, any, any parent, you recognize this today? When you feed a child, you pick up a spoon of stuff and you look at the child and you go. And then the child goes, and you go, here comes the airplane. And then goes the spoon of stuff. And you're, you do exactly what the child is, and the child copies you, and that's how you feed the child. If you're not doing that, then you need to start doing it. Open your mouth, the child will open his mouth. Talking, thinking, and the last thing is walking. Walking is not innate and not instinctive to any child. It is a learned habit. It's a learned habit. Children see you walking, and guess what they want to do? They want to walk. And, the, and, and this is proven true by the events that happened in Romania, what were discovered in Romania, at the end of the Ceausescu regime in the late 
80s. Because Westerners from Western Europe went into the orphanages in Romania. Ceausescu, uh, uh, I can't remember his first name, he's got on my head. Ceausescu had a policy of having as many people in the population as possible. And yet the economic situation was such that that was not sustainable. So a lot of children ended up in orphanages. But when they went into the orphanages, they found children 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, who weren't able to walk. They just sat in their beds, lay on their cots, lay on the floor, because nobody ever taught them to walk. Nobody ever encouraged them and said, come on, come on, come on, as they walked along. Nobody, can you imagine what it would be like to raise them in that atmosphere? Nobody has even encouraged you to walk. And that's how we all learn. We observe others, we imitate their behavior, and we walk. But there's two kinds of imitation, if you will, that we do. And one of them is known to us and the other isn't known to us. Are you tracking with me so far? Yes. Are you tracking me so far? I'm talking about human condition, I'm talking about the human condition so far. There is two types of uh, imitation, if you will. There is what we would call active or conscious imitation. Imitation that we do deliberately and intentionally. We do it because that is the way that we want to do, live, move, talk, walk. And then there's the unconscious, or as, as it were, passive imitation, which is the way that we just imbibe things just by sitting in a room. Just by being around people, without saying anything, without repeating anything, we just begin to pick up attitudes, we begin to pick up uh, behaviours, we begin to pick up speech patterns. Let me give you an example, a couple of examples, well let me give you one example of passive imitation. Imitation that's totally unconscious. Have you ever been in a room at night and somebody yawns? In, in the middle of a group of people. Like I'm sitting at home and Elma yawns at night. No, she yawns all the time when I'm listening to when I'm talking to her, but that's okay. But she begins to yawn, then I begin to yawn. And then one of the lads sitting next to her on the coach begins to yawn. And before you know it, everyone's yawning. And yet it's totally unconscious. It's triggered in a totally unconscious way. It's not a great example, but it will do. But in, in, in the same way, we also pick up attitudes, behaviors, of, uh, patterns of thinking, patterns of speech, patterns of living, we pick it up by, you might call it osmosis, just by the people around us. I read one professor of psychology who said, we, people forget that the most, they forget that the most influential thing on their behavior, their attitudes and their activity is the people around them. Surround yourself with good people and you're going to go to good places. Who you're running with determines where you're running to. Are you with me? And I said that, that's actually what the Bible teaches. Anyway, I want to look very briefly at three of these things and what the Bible has to say about these three things. About thinking, about talking, and about walking. Not, not loads and loads of verses, just like basically one verse for each. But it's important that we get this under our skin, that God wants to affect the way that we think, and the way that we talk, and the way that we walk. I'm going to look first and take a, great, take a wild guess what verse I'm going to reference here. It's going to be from Romans chapter 12. It's going to be Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. So Paul has laid out the whole story of how God is dealing with people. How God has dealt with his nation of Israel. How he's dealing with the, the, the Jews and the non-Jews. What God was doing. What's going on in our souls. He's laid it all out. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, in other words meaning, I said all that to say this, is what he says. He says, Therefore, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And he goes on to say this. He says, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. Hallelujah. 
then you know God's will for you. Now, how is it that God changes the way we think? By changing the way you think. The way we're changing our thinking is by being around people who are thinking God's thoughts. And there's a classic one. Read your Bible. Because in it is God's pleasing and perfect and good will. Because God always does what's good. He always does what's right. And he always does what's perfect. Can you get an amen? And I warn people all the time. Do you see the Bible that you have in your hand? Or the app that you have in your phone when you read those words? It is the universe's most powerful mind-altering substance. Nothing will affect your mind like reading your Bible will affect your mind. It will change the whole course of your life if you listen to what it says and do what it says. It will change your mind literally. So thinking is what we pick up. And Paul is onto something. Don't follow the behavior and the customs of this world. He knows that we're all living and working. And we've got neighbors and workmates and colleagues and fellow students and family members who aren't following God's pattern and aren't following God's purposes. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. Don't follow them, but follow what God says for your life. What about talking? Oh, talking. Hallelujah. Maybe we should close in prayer before talking about talking. Uh, talking is an interesting subject because, you know, every time I read about talking, I'm fully convicted. And uh, all of God's Holy Spirit's conviction comes upon me because I know that you, anybody who talks a lot, you know, not like me, no, but somebody who talks a lot, I imagine, um, somebody who talks a lot can say some stupid things sometimes. But here's what Paul writes to the early Christian church in Ephesus. And he says, remember, he's writing to a Christian church, he says this. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. He says, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. He's writing to the church. Can you imagine what their church meetings were like? Who set up the breaking of bread? You're useless. You made a mess of this. How could you? That song is on a key. How could you sing that? Can you imagine what it would be like? You're useless, musician. That preacher was useless. You're useless. Can you imagine what it was like to be in that church? Hallelujah. Let me bring my friends to the church as they devour each other with foul and abusive language. But he says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words are an encouragement to those who hear them. And words are so powerful on our ear. And the strange thing is the way we talk is really, really influenced by the people around us. Do you know what I find? I find when I'm around the South African people, the South Africans, they were all in the early service, they're all gone now, so I'm not in trouble at all. Um, so when I'm around the South African people, I begin to talk a little bit like this. And I get a bit straighter and a bit more honest. I don't like you. It's their classic line. They love it. They're just so up there. And I noticed that when I'm around people, I start to talk like them. I, I was in America for a year, and when I was in America, when I was in America, I used to phone home regularly. I'd make a reverse, char reverse charges call to Ireland from America. And I used to pick up the phone when I started. I'd pick up the phone and the woman would say, Hello, AT&T, can I help you? And I'd say, yeah, I'd like to make a reverse charges call to Cork and Ireland, please. I'm sorry, sir, can you repeat that? I'd like to make a reverse charges call to Cork and Ireland, if you wouldn't mind. I'm sorry, sir, I'm afraid I can't understand you. Can you repeat it for me? And eventually I clicked. I'd like to make a reverse George's call to Cork in the Republic of Ireland. No problem, sir, I'll put you through immediately. <laughs> All you had to do was change your accent and you were there. And when I came back, I didn't call a knife and fork, a knife and fork at all. They became a knife and fork. <laughs> I remember my sister, my late sister Catherine, handing me when she says, would you like a fork for your dinner, Michael? Because I, 
I didn't realize it, but being around American speakers, I began to speak American, and I just seem to pick up accents whenever I'm around people. Uh, and you know, the, the way that we talk to people is so important as well, isn't it? You know, I, make the, I, I was observing that on sports day, so it's, imagine it's sports day in Ireland, right? And, 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 you know, we're sending little Shawnee to the sports day, okay? So Sean's going to sports day, he's in, he's in fourth class, let's say fourth class, and we get down Sean is sports day. So we get down to Shawnee, and this is, this is in Ireland, the West in America, right? So we get down and go, hey Shawnee, we'll put on the American accent for the crack. Hey Shawnee, today is sports day, son. Now I want you to do your best, okay? But it doesn't matter if you come first or last. We want you to have fun, okay? Because there's a prize for everybody. It doesn't matter who wins, okay? I love you. Off you go. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Southeast Asia. <laughs> Shansu. Today, most important day of your life. Today, you will compete. And you will win. You will not come home without a gold medal. If you lose today, you are no longer my son. Go and win, or you will bring shame on this family. And then you wonder why the Asians do better. But the way that we talk has effects on people. And the way that parents talk has an effect on people, doesn't it? You know, I, I love loads of the foreign nationals who come to Ireland. They say, come to Grace Church. This is what they say. I probably said this before. It doesn't matter if I do. They say this. They say, I say, do you understand us when we speak? And the Brazilians, normally the Brazilians would say, yes, Pastor Mike. <laughs> what we say is, when you understand Pastor Tom, you have basic English. It's good. <laughs> But when you understand Pastor Mike, you have advanced English, it's really good. And for some reason, I said that in Southeast Asia too. I don't know why. But we pick up, isn't it true, we pick up our speech patterns from the people around us. If your father and your mother were always critical, do you know what you're going to be? You're going to be critical. Because they pick it up. And I said, I said it, I don't know that I said it earlier, but a child thinks before it can talk or it can walk. It knows how to think. It imbibes an atmosphere. Speaking of children, my wife, Elma, she's tough out like. My sons go to school and play matches. They play hurling and they play soccer. And just as they say, I'm off to the match. And their mother will turn to them and say, if you don't score, don't come home. <laughs> you don't know what I'm up against like. You have no idea. <laughs> the way we talk produces results. Do you know the old Irish phrase, Mullinoy Gagas Chukik, she encouraged the young one and she will come? It's true. Speak words of encouragement, not criticism. Speak words that will build up, not tear down. Don't abuse, build up. Can I get an amen? But we will, because our kids will pick it up. The people around us will pick it up. What about walking? In walking in the Bible is a metaphor for the way that we live our lives. The way that we actually walk. It says walking is the, for the way that we live our lives. It's the walk of faith. We talk about the journey of faith. We talk about the pilgrimage of faith. It's about walking all the way along the line. Here's what Paul writes. 
He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Actually, I just noticed that Paul was actually writing this in his best clipped English accent. And he said, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I say, so he says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. This means like, be led by a cloud of pillar by day and a pillar of fire by night. No! Being led by the Spirit means doing the things that the Spirit empowers you to do and that are written in God's Word. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And walking is a funny thing. Did you know that children pick up their gait, the way that you walk, G-A-I-T, from their dads? They observe the way their dads walk and they start walking. So if your dad kind of walks around the place like that, you're going to start walking around the place like that. My dad, when he walked, he walked slowly. And he would always walk like that. And I'm, just, I'm always telling my, my, my sons at home, like my dad would, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I never saw my dad running in my life, would you believe it? Honestly. So he walked like that, that's the way he walked. He walked with this relaxed, bouncing. And there I was telling my sons, I don't walk like that. And just the other morning I was standing, I was praying, I was up early and I was praying. And I was walking up and down our sunroom. And next thing I noticed, I'm starting to walk like this as I'm praying. And goodness, this stuff is getting into my head. But better still, I knew a guy who became a Christian all the time. I became a Christian young lad. He was from Ballyfehan. And uh, Ballyfehan is a working class suburb on the south side of the Cork. I'm from Ballyfehan myself. Don't say anything bad about Ballyfehan. Anyway, so uh, from this working class suburb, uh, I won't say his name. Let's call him Sean. So Sean, and when you met Sean, Sean would walk like this. He literally walked like this. <laughs> So, are you okay there? Yeah, I'm just walking, like, just walking. You see, Sean thought that he was Tupac Shakur. He thought he was down in East LA with the homes, man, you know what I'm saying? He used to even say, hey, come on, man. He used to say, like, he literally with an English accent. So he's as white, he's as white as a sheet. He's Irish, he's from Ballyfehan. He talks like that normally, and suddenly he just takes on this persona and starts walking around the place like he's from East LA. And he's not even from East Ballyfehan. But he literally walked like the person that he so admired, because this is the truth. We walk like those we worship. We walk like those we worship. Do you know the Old Testament? Isaiah the prophet says, speaking to the people worshipping in idols, he says, you worship wooden idols. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have modes, but they can't speak. They have hands, but they can't feel. And legs, but they can't walk. And those who worship them will become like them. Ah. We walk like those we worship. Live the way the Lord has commanded you, wrote Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 33. So that you may live and have what is good and have a long life in the land. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I just realized I've gone over time already. Here's, here's a piece of advice. Walk with the wise and become wise, but associate with fools and you will get into trouble. Hang around with fools and you'll get into trouble. I've often thought about people, you can see them the way they get together. People look alike, don't they? You know when you're around people for long enough, you begin to look like them? You know, I, I, obviously not husbands and wives, I hope, but uh, when you're around people long enough, boyfriends and girlfriends, let's rule that one out. But if you, if you notice the different groups that look like each other, you see, do you ever notice how bikers, all the bikers look the same, don't they? They all have the leathers 
and the boots, and some of them are bald and have beards, just like make it like the bald the hair, stop coming over their head and coming over their chin instead and over their ears. So, but they all all look the same. Are you with me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what about the rockers? All the rockers, they all look the same. Torn jeans, black t-shirt, long hair. How's it gone, man? And they all have the kind of head. That, I can't do it. They all kind of rock, and they all have the head that moves on. The rockers, they all look the same. And then the hippies, they all smell the same, don't they? You're on the hippies. Yes. They do. They start walking, they, they, they look alike. I've driven through the city centre here so many times and, and said, oh, there, 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 there's my son Robin. Or, oh, look, that, 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 that's Fionn, isn't it? And like you drive past, you go, no, it's not Fionn. There's just a gaggle of guys who look just like him. They're all the same. I often thought, if my guy, it was actually Christine made a great point, it was Christine made a point to me. She said, imagine if you had to ring in a missing persons for my son. I said, hello, down at Angle Street, how can I help you? Am I looking for my missing son? Great, can you give me a description? Well, he's about six foot two, right. He's tall, okay. He's thin, gotcha. He's wearing a grey tracksuit, okay. He's wearing white runners, okay. He has a short back, a skin fade haircut, okay. You do realise you've just described 350,000 people in Cork. Because people begin to look alike, don't they? You see, we think we're so unique, but we're not. We're copycats. We're all copying something. So therefore, we need to copy and imitate what is the best. Here's what Paul wrote to the, to the Christians. He said this, he said something amazing. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Do what I do because I'm doing what Christ did. That's what he says. Imitate me because you're going to imitate someone. Everyone's imitating someone. Who are you going to imitate is the question. Imitate me. I love when C.S. Lewis talks about children practicing and playing grown up. He says they're not playing grown up. They're practicing to become grown ups. And he reveals the secret if you were in, in, in the screw tape letters. This fantastic book, the screw tape letters. He says this. All mortals tend to turn into the thing that they are pretending to be. All mortals tend to turn into the thing that they are pretending to be. A child pretends to be a rock and roller before he becomes a rock and roller. He has to practice first. A child plays soccer and he becomes, he's a useless soccer player for a while, but he pretends and practices for long enough and he becomes a footballer because we turn into the thing that we're pretending to be. So I'd say, let's pretend to be good husbands and good wives and good brothers and good sisters and good fathers and good mothers and good uncles and good cousins and good Christians and good students and good workers and we'll become them in the end. Can I get an amen? That's what I mean. Last Sunday, we baptised 18 people here in church. We baptised another 20 or 20 plus back in Easter. And all of them wore a t-shirt emblazoned with the following words. I have decided to follow Jesus. What does that mean? Does that mean to be, you know, just, you know, become a cardboard cutout version of Jesus? No, it means to know Jesus' values, know Jesus' practices, and follow the way that Jesus lived. In actual fact, here's specifically what it says. This is what uh, John writes to the early Christians when he talks about living and walking in Jesus' footsteps. He says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Amen. I live in God, so you should live your life as Jesus did. Your values should be the same. What did Jesus value? He valued God, his Father. He valued people. He valued people. That was his highest value. Remember when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments, and they sum up the whole law, he said. Love God 
and love others. So those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, have the values of Jesus. But that's not easy. That's not an easy call. And it's not a call that will ever be properly fulfilled in the lives of any of us in this mortal body. I love when Paul reads to the Philippians and he says to them, it's not that I've achieved all the things that I'm telling you to live by, but what I am saying is this, that I'm still pressing on. I'm heading towards the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. I haven't, I'm not there yet. Not a chance. None of us will be fully there. Not in this lifetime. There's people I've met who are really close to it. But, you know, not an awful lot of people. But most of us are on this journey, we're on this walk. Are you with me? We're on this walk and we must walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's done by this, it's done by practice. What's the key? Practice, practice, practice. How do you get better at an instrument? Practice, practice, practice. How do you get better at a sport? Practice, practice, practice. How do you get better at loving God? Practice, practice, practice. How do you get better at loving people? Practice, practice, practice. Here's what he says. Keep putting into practice. Keep putting it on. Don't just practice once. Ah, yeah, I tried playing ball. It was no good. I tried the guitar, but I couldn't play it. Of course you couldn't. You didn't practice. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. Hallelujah. See the practices. And he goes on, I'm going to call it the imitation chain. He says, don't just do what I'm doing. But this is what he says. He says, join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as models, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on people who live just the way that he lived. And just keep your eyes on them, because if you keep your eyes on them and you imitate them, you're going to become like them, because they're becoming like Christ, and you too will become like Christ. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I'm going to come to a wrap-up, okay? And I know I've gone over time, but I started late, so I get a little bit of credit. Here we go. Let me ask you a question. Who are you? And what is the you that you're defining when you say, this is what I am or this is who I am? What is that you? Who are you? Can I put it to you? That who you are is not as unique an individual as you might imagine. But who you are is an amalgam of your experiences, of your habits, of your behaviors, of your influences, of the people whose walk and talk and thinking you have imitated. You're the combination of the DNA of your parents and the attitudes and personalities and influence of significant people around you in your life. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, brothers, sisters, students, friends. You are that person. So that is the you. So when you say, I am myself, are you really? Because what is yourself? Because I want to tell you a theological point, and this is the truth. You can search the scriptures to see if these things are true. Do what the Bereans did. There is only one person in the entire universe who can say, I am myself, and that is God. Because he had no pregenitor, he had no one before him, he had no one to influence him. He is the only person in the universe who can truly say, I am myself. And that's why when Moses, when the, Moses said to him, Lord, who will I say sent me? Say, I am who I am. I'm not something else. I'm not an amalgam of the influences and, and, and the, the worship of other gods. I'm not any of those things. I am myself. Hallelujah. So who are you? Can I suggest to you, you are the one who will decide who 
who you are. You are a child of God if you've accepted Jesus Christ. That's the truth of it. You're a child of God. We'll look at that in just a second. We're going to sing about it, in fact, and pray, pray about it. But I want to give you one last quote from Mr. Lewis. His book, um, Mere Christianity, probably one of the best books he's ever written. An amazing book. It's, he sums up the whole story of the book in the end. In this, literally, this last paragraph. And these are the last two sentences, or two and a half sentences, from that book that I think are worth taking on board and listening to and soaking in. Because they're so drenched with truth. And a truth that will set us free. This is what he says. He says, look for yourself. And you will find in the long run, only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. If you seek yourself. I'm going to California to find myself. If you do, you will find hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. If you're just chasing after your true identify, your true self-identifying you, that's what you're going to get. I hate to break it to you. But then he says this. But look for Christ. And with him, and you'll find him, and with him, Everything else thrown in. Because the true you is the one that you are in Christ. Amen. That's the true you. That's the real you. That's the you that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. World and time without end. That's the you that will last. But it, you can only find him in Christ. If you look for him, you find yourself. You find the true self that you have always meant to be when you find him. Do you want to find him or do you want to find yourself?